just kind of going to here we are. All right. Hello and welcome to episode 171 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is November 18th, 2019. I am Rollo McFlugel and with me is Slappy Jones 2 and we are both from McFlugel.com. The show notes page for this episode is McFlugel.com slash 171 where you'll be able to find links to things like our sponsor, LibertyMugs.com and also ways to check out the project that we're going to talk about right now with the two guests that we have. First ever father-son guest that we've had on the show. So why don't you take it over, Slappy, and introduce him. Yeah, so welcome back, JW, who's been a guest of our show a few times and has been, um, I don't know the right word, our, <laughs> I guess he's taught me more about Bitcoin than anyone else, uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, but well, we have... Yeah, we have JW and his son, Will Weatherman. So, Will, welcome to the show uh, for the first time. And today, Will is going to be telling us about the project he's working on, an open source project for cold storage of Bitcoin. So, Will, what's uh, what's your website? What are you working on? Can you tell us a little bit about someone like me who doesn't know a whole lot? Um, you know, explain it to me what you're working on. So uh, Yeti Cold is cold storage for Bitcoin, which is just a um, uh, UI built over Bitcoin Core. So we haven't written any Bitcoin code at all. We've just used Bitcoin Core's code and built a web wizard over it. All right. So real, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I told you I'm going to ask a lot of really basic questions. When you say UI, what do you mean by that? Uh I wrote the code, uh, JW helped test it, and uh, he was the one that researched most of the Bitcoin, or, or Bitcoin code. And so it's been, so yeah, um, like I say, I, I'm, I'm very computer illiterate. So <laughs> basically you have, you created a program that works with Bitcoin Core? Yes. And it works, on, works on top of it. Sure. So you download the entire chain through Bitcoin Core, and this runs on top of it. Yep. So user interface UI stands for user interface. Uh, gotcha. So that's what I'm looking at when I open up a program. The UI is the user interface. What I'm seeing that connects it to Bitcoin Core or whatever or runs in conjunction with Bitcoin Core. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Cool. And, and so the reason that we did that is that Bitcoin Core is the most trustworthy software that you can use, but it's not the most user friendly. So we we uh, we thought we'll just create a very thin veneer over the top of it. Um, so just a, a question on that, because I, I have downloaded Bitcoin Core. You're saying just that that interface when I open up Bitcoin Core, what I'm looking at there, um, which is not very user friendly or downloading the whole chain or, or what are what are what are you adding to it i guess is what i'm saying so bitcoin core is not very user friendly in general but you mm -hmm. can send money and receive money through bitcoin core uh there is no ui or user interface for setting up multi-sig or mm -hmm. um any of the complicated stuff that makes uh these wallets really secure and yeti cold so yeah, I would have no idea how to do that in Bitcoin Core. Yeah. And your program. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Rob. Now I think that what you're thinking of when you open up Bitcoin Core is is like the oh. uh, uh, the 
the wallet space. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, whereas, whereas what they're what what people want to do more anything more complicated is you got to go on the command line. Sure. Right. Which right. Is, yeah. Which, so if which if, I I don't even know what that's capable. Of. I have used the command line before, but it's always from like how do I you know I don't know get my uh, private keys or whatever. I go on the command line and get them. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So so what's something that we did uh, well. Um, or maybe you could explain what multi-sig is. And, and yeah, that'd be great. So multi-sig is where you have uh, multiple wallet seeds and requires you to have at least X number of the entire pool to send your money. That number is configurable. Yeti Cold currently uses a three of seven where it requires you to have three of your seven seeds that you written down. And those are in WIP format. Uh, I'm not sure how to explain WIP format any better, though. That's okay. Yeah, it's just it's just a bunch of letters and numbers, mm-hmm. uh, and so you'll see this big string of letters and numbers. But um, that's that's instead of the uh, like the seed words, right? Instead of the dictionary of words that you have to do just right. to get your seed. Um, do we, so. Why did you guys pick three of seven? What, what was special uh, about that configuration? It has a lot of redundancy and the fact that it requires you to have three of your seven places compromised before you can send the money. But this is great if you have uh, one at your house, one in your backyard, and then one an hour drives away. Even if your house is completely searched and both of them are found, you still have the one an hour drive away. And you can double that setup in another country and have one in a safety deposit. So a ton of redundancy, but still requires you to have lots of options for security. Okay. Yeah, great. Um, so th- I should have asked this question first. So why multi-sig instead of just having the uh, single key? Because um, I'm not sure you're going to have to talk to JW for that one. <laughs> okay. No, no okay. So, so – so let me let me ask it this way. Well, if you had a bunch of money in Bitcoin, um, why would you use multi-sig instead of just have a single seed? It's definitely less secure, uh, the single seed. Because, um, well, I guess if you put it this way, if you have a piece of paper with your seed on it, uh, you can hide your seed somewhere. But if that one place is compromised, then all of your money's gone. Even if you split the seed words up, you don't have a lot of options for splitting your seed up. Uh, the best you can do is like a two of three, but that severely compromises your security. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you say split it up, you mean just like, you know, if you had like 50 words, you could break it up into three different chunks. So you'd have like, you know, 17 words uh, per mm-hmm. piece of paper. Is that what you mean? Yes. But then and instead of having... Instead of having 50 words to guess for each piece of paper, you have only 17 per each piece of paper. And then if you want to give it the redundancy that we have with a three of seven, you're going to down to maybe eight words per piece of paper. And that is guessable with uh, computers now. Right. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, So I guess... uh, because we're trying to, because we our our podcast uh, audience is very varied in knowledge and understanding of Bitcoin. There's um, 
people that know pretty good amount about it, a lot more than me, I would say. And then there's also people that kind of just know about it, but you know, they get real confused or, or they, they, they're interested in it, but they don't know how to get started. So why would someone want to use cold storage or what's the difference between cold storage and like having a hot wallet? Can you yeah, talk about the differences why, there? And well, yeah, one thing before so, we, cause I, I do want to talk about the actual, actual Yeti cold, uh, product, but, but just like kind of explaining the background of, all right, you know, you have Bitcoin. Why would you want to put it in cold storage, uh, versus having like a hot wallet or something? Or just, you know, someone who just gets into Bitcoin and has Cash App and buys some Bitcoin and has it on there. Uh, security is the main thing. If you have 1000 bucks or even 5000 bucks in a hot wallet, worst case scenario, somebody finds your seed written down in your safe or buried in the backyard. And they can use that to get all of your money. Now, another option would be have seven different wallets. And then just split up your money between that wallets. But then if you have a transaction that requires multiple wallets, you have to get those wallets, restore those wallets. And there, that is another option. It's just not what we decided to go with. Multi-sig mm -hmm. is definitely easier and more convenient and just as secure. Okay. So the, with, the, go ahead. The, I was just going to say the reason that you would want to. Um, <clears throat> so what about Cash App? Like, um, if you buy Bitcoin on Cash App, well, why not just leave it on there? Uh, I don't know much about Cash App, but I'm assuming that you don't write down any seed words and that's all no. stored somewhere. That's right. Yeah. You don't even have the keys. You have, I mean, I'd, maybe you can. I don't know. But, uh, I don't think yeah. you do. Yeah, it'd be, uh, you don't you don't use Cash App, but um, but it's like Coinbase or any other uh, Bitcoin exchange. Where Does they it just have a user and password? It does, yeah. It has a username and password, um, and that's that's all. But the the main problem is, is that you're trusting them not to steal your Bitcoin, and you hear about these exchanges that go out of business and take all the Bitcoin and run off with it. So you don't want to have somebody. It, basically, you're trusting them to hold all of your private keys for you, and if they decide they want to steal your Bitcoin, then they can. Right. More importantly, yours and everybody else that uses it, and that can be enticing to get the Bitcoin. Yeah, oh, yeah. Exactly. Or, or they can start kind of selling you fake Bitcoin because they, you don't have the uh, you can't verify that the Bitcoin's real. So they can just really it's just uh, everyone's user account is just a, you know, a, a database. It's just their own database. So they can claim that they're giving you Bitcoin um, until maybe something like a bank run type thing happens and everyone tries to claim their Bitcoin and they go, oh, oh, we don't have all of it. And uh, yeah. Yep cause a major yep. problem so who is who is uh yeti cold like who should be using it like what what type of person in bitcoin um why would someone want to use it like what what's what's the purpose of it for someone because it doesn't uh, seem like it's for someone that you know it's it's their kind of uh, i don't i don't necessarily agree with this strategy but like they're spending money it's not for someone like that right uh it's for it's well, Yeti cold, specifically the cold storage is for anybody that has a large amount of Bitcoin, $50,000 plus, and they just want to store that uh, and keep it in basically cold storage. They don't want to spend it. They don't want to use it. They can occasionally send money to it to add to their pile. It's just basically your hoard that you keep hidden away and safe. OK, great. So like a uh, your own per personal bank vault. Right. 
Yeah, and just okay. um, uh, again, another very basic question, but when you say cold storage as opposed to hot wallets or um, I'm on your site here, I see Yeti warm storage. When you say cold, that means no one can get to your private keys because it's not connected to the internet? It's impossible for it to get it. Well, not impossible. It is would be extremely difficult for anybody to if you use generic hardware to have some way of connecting either by Wi-Fi or hacking the QR codes to send mm -hmm. all of your private keys out of the offline machine or disconnected machine. Right. All right, I'm going yeah, to Just to Go clarify ahead. real quick. So, so there is three different versions and well, you should talk through kind of the pros and cons, like when you would use each, but cold storage um, specifically means that in our case, not only are your keys, um, you know, which are basically your Bitcoin password, right? Uh, for people that aren't into Bitcoin, um, your keys are not, um, they're not only not on an internet connected device, but they're not on any electronic device at all. Like at the end of Yeti cold storage setup, you have some thumb drives and you have some paper and you split those up and move them, you know, at different mm -hmm. spots. Um, and so it's, it's absolutely impossible, uh, to guess what's on those pieces of paper without having access to those pieces of paper. So that that's cold storage, but Will, you should talk through the kind of the pros and cons of the other two options. Yeah, uh, real quick, go ahead, the, the cons of Yeti cold is that it's not easy to send money out of a multi-sig, especially if you plan to have it be your cold storage where you've got your keys an hour drives away and then a three hour flight across the country uh, just to send more or just to send money out of it for your grocery shop or anything else that is uh, not long term. That would be Yeti warm or uh, Yeti hot. And what's what's Yeti warm? How is it different? Yeti Warm is a three of seven multi-sig. It is easier to set up and recover, but it can be used for cold storage. But that being said, your keys are on an online connected device or Wi-Fi connected device uh, and therefore can pretty much easily be compromised if they somehow maybe add an extra library into the QR code library we're doing or maybe the QR code library themselves are compromised. Uh, there are ways, to, a lot easier ways to get into Yeti warm as opposed to Yeti cold, but it still is a three of seven multi-sig. Right, and so you can you can easily send from it because it's online. It's just a matter of you know clicking send and then you can send Bitcoin, so it's really convenient. But it'd be hard to lose your Bitcoin because of the multi-sig. What, um, what about Yeti hot? Yeti Hot is uh, just one C. So it's basically a hot wallet uh, that uses the WIP format for your seed converted to NATO format, which is basically just Alpha Bravo Echo instead of ABE. Uh, and then you write that down on a piece of paper or three, maybe a thumb drive or two. Uh, but that is used for easy spending all you have to do is plug in your seed or write, write or type it in, and then you can easily send and receive from the Bitcoin QT wallet. Yeah, so that basically the idea is that as you go from cold, which is really secure, to hot, 
um, you go, it's less secure at each step, but it's also a lot easier. So, you know, if you have 500 bucks, just throw it in Yeti hot and be done with it. Um, cause it'll only take you, you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes to set up. Um, but if it's a large amount, you want to go with Yeti cold and then there's kind of an in-between option. Yeah. So would it, would it make sense? Like say you had a you know, million us dollars worth of Bitcoin to go with all three. So you have some kind of saved away you're not going to touch that's your cold storage it's very hard to get to unless you absolutely needed it and you have a little bit in the in the warm which almost kind of like some savings just to have in case and then the hot would be what you're spending on your daily basis or whatever does that make sense or not at all that does make sense because yeti cold yeti warm and yeti hot have specific uses Mm -hmm. you are not going to want to drive an hour away and take a three-hour flight just so you can spend some Bitcoin for your groceries. That would right. be definitely overkill Yeti warm or more uh, easily Yeti hot. And Yeti warm would basically be the same thing. You put in maybe seven grocery shopping trips into Yeti warm as opposed to putting it all in Yeti hot. Yeah, I personally will um, have... Uh, some in Yeti warm, just because I, I like the three of seven um, thing, and then I'll use Yeti cold. But I'm a security person, so I'm going to probably be a little <laughs> You're bit more avoiding annoying. a Yeti hat. Yeah. I mean, you know, actually, it's not that – to put this in context, though, like it's not insecure uh, uh, to use Yeti hot. You have Bitcoin Core. It's extremely tested and battle-hardened. Um, you put, you know, even a few thousand bucks in there and leave it online all the time. Like I would sleep like a baby. I wouldn't be worried about mm-hmm. it at all. I wouldn't be comfortable with a few million bucks in there, but a few thousand bucks just on a, a laptop that's running a freshly installed copy of Ubuntu with, um, which is what Yeti has you go, do and has you set up um, a, a laptop that just has Ubuntu on it fresh and then it throws Bitcoin Core on there for you. I mean, that that thing's pretty pretty damn rock solid, right? Like, uh, it's, it's very unlikely that you're going to get hacked. Um, like every web server is not that secure, right? They always have mm-hmm. additional services and stuff that they're running. So like when you're talking security in Bitcoin, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're definitely like, you've got the tinfoil hat on and like, you've already wrapped yourself in, you know, in tinfoil and you're in your Faraday cage and everything. Um, so this is, this is just fine for a few thousand bucks. Yeah, it's funny that how we're talking about like the hot storage and uh, saying that uh, it's not that secure. But when you compare it to what I think most people do is just leave it on exchanges or use, you know, there's go on Google Play or something and find the first Bitcoin wallet they see and put it on that. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's a whole nother uh, whole nother league what we're talking about here. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, the other thing is you can compare it to the banking system. And people think that banks are secure um, because they're like, well, I've never lost any money out of there. But the only reason for that is that they lose money like crazy. Um, They have the most inefficient security that you could possibly imagine. Um, But the reason that you don't know that you're losing money is that they're just printing it like crazy. And it's such this big Ponzi scheme that they're willing to absorb the cost, right? Like they'll send out the FBI to go track some guy down over writing bad checks, you know, equaling less than $10,000 over a couple of years, right? Like they'll spend $100,000 on an FBI agent to go out and do that. And you're thinking, ah, you know, it's not that bad when somebody writes me a bad check, you know, it, it ends up 
being absorbed by my bank, you know, sometimes. Um, but, uh, but it's just cause the, the costs are all hidden. Right. right. Um, so the reality is that this is, uh, like it's so cheap, right? Like you go to Walmart, grab a laptop for 130 bucks and you have, you literally have like NSA level security that no government in the world can compromise. And it takes you 30 minutes to set up. Um, that's pretty insane. Yeah. I want to get into kind of the hardware stuff and everything. But before that, Will, you mentioned the uh, the NATO code for the private key. And you want to – because, JW, you brought that up, I don't know, a couple months ago maybe, how you were – you came up with that idea. And I think it's – I think that's really good because there's issues with the uh, mnemonic seed that a lot of people are used to, those 12 or 24 words that you write down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you want to get into explaining what the – what some of the threats are with that, but I, just the, yeah. I, can, can you explain what the, uh, with what your, your little trick that you did too with, yeah, the, totally. with the private seed? Yeah. Um, so, so if you, right now, if you have a Bitcoin wallet at some point, they probably told you to write down 24 words and that's this thing called BIP 39. When I first found out about it, I was pretty, pissed off because I had put my Bitcoin into this. So anybody that, uh, that was following on me on Twitter, uh, I was, I was, you know, probably overreacting a little bit, uh, cause I, I felt a little bit, uh, betrayed. My feelings were hurt cause I got suckered. <laughs> um, but it turned out that a couple months ago, I found out that this BIP 39 thing was actually a bit controversial when it was implemented. And that's enough for me to freak out because, um, anything that's controversial and has to do with cryptography, uh, like software security, it usually just sits on the shelf until it's not controversial anymore. That's the right way to do it. Um, and so some of the concerns that I had might not have, well, some of the concerns that I had when I first found out about how controversial it was are definitely less of a concern now. Um, I do think that there's enough randomness um, involved. Um, and they're using some algorithms that are a little bit questionable that people have said is not quite right. But ultimately, I guess the main complaint that I have about that approach right now is that the biggest threat to your Bitcoin is recovery. Um, if, you know, in 10 years you're trying to figure it out or you die and your spouse is trying to figure out how to get at this Bitcoin, that's the most likely way that it goes away. Like an attacker, you know, kicking in your front door and taking it or um, somebody online, you know, getting you to uh, run a virus on your laptop and you having your Bitcoin on that. That's not the, I mean, assuming that you're not doing stuff that I would tell you is, you know, psychotic. Um, that's not the most likely way that you're going to lose your Bitcoin. It's going to be recovery. And so what this BIP39 idea was, is that we will, we'll have these databases of different, for each language, we'll have a database of 4,000 or so words. And each one of those words corresponds to a number. And then you just have to write down these 24 words. And that equals this 256 letter Mm. slash number thing, right? Um, And the problem with that is that uh, if that uh, if that database ever goes away, like if anybody loses that database, uh, you're not going to be able to recover your Bitcoin. And it's probably fine for English, but if you speak like I don't know some obscure language, maybe that maybe maybe it'll be fine. Like maybe your database won't be lost. but I also, I'm not all that confident that 
especially since there's a lot of people that don't, you know, they like quietly don't like Bet 39. Um, I'm not sure that it'll still be around in like 20 years. Um, and it's not in Bitcoin core. And for me, that's kind of the standard, right? Like if, if it hasn't been adopted by Bitcoin core yet, it's very possible it won't exist in five years because everybody's, you know, like all these startups and stuff, they're trying stuff. But if, uh, if it doesn't make it into the sort of the open source standard, uh, thing that everybody's doing code review and giving a lot of thought to and is being pretty conservative with, it could just go away. So I, I, that's the main reason I don't like it is, is, uh, the possibility that when you go to recover your Bitcoin, the, uh, the, the database won't be there. The other big problem with it is something called, um, uh, derivation paths. And I won't get into that, but the way that different wallet companies are using this derivation path thing is so unpredictable that it's smart to write down what they're doing. And so now instead of just having to know your seed words or your seed, right, this 256 bit number, supposedly to make it user friendly, now you have to know these 24 words. You, you may or may not want to keep a copy of the word database for paranoids like me, I would. Um, and then you definitely want to write down this derivation path thing that's super not user friendly. So at the end of the day, it just doesn't, I don't think that it really gives you anything and it takes a lot away. So as I was looking at that, it's like, look, there's these 256 words um, or these 256 letters or numbers. Why don't we just use... Um, okay, so what's the problem with that, right? Why don't you just write down A, B, C, uh, 7, 8, 9? Uh, and Will, actually, wh why didn't we do that? Why didn't we just write down the stake of numbers? There's only 256 of them, and you can be done with it. 256 is not very user-friendly to store and write down because there is no redundancy for it. Uh, if you accidentally make a typo, you are definitely not going to find a single misspelled letter in 256 characters yeah it's like and, finding finding an atom in the earth right. a single atom in the entire earth or something yeah uh <laughs> and people came up with the nato format a while ago which is designed to specifically be easy to not misinterpret you're not going to find another word uh in the dictionary the 26 letters uh, that looks or is anything remotely like Alpha or Bravo or Echo. They're all completely new, unique, and have plenty of redundancy. You could chop the first letter off and still know exactly what word it was. So you have lots of redundancy uh, to not forget 256 bits. Right. right. So, so that was one thing that. What was the other thing that uh, that you ended up adding um, to make it a little easier? Because there, there's a little bit more on it um, with the the sort of modified NATO format that we went with. The other thing we did is all capitals and lower cases are complete capital words. So capital alpha, uh, and then lowercase alpha corresponds to capital A and lowercase a. Um, same thing, plenty of redundancy. You're not going to miss the first letters capitalized. Mm -hmm. um, we also turned all the numbers into words. Uh, conveniently, none of the uh, writ or the uh, word letters um, look anything like. So same redundancy, uh, and then we just keep those all capitalized. 
Yeah. And then, um, is there like any sort of check to make sure that you're putting in the, these things correctly? Yes, we do have a checksum, which decodes them to their base 58, uh, format, which is basically just the, uh, numbers, uh, the direct 256 bits rather than the 13 words or whatever we have you write down. Mm -hmm. uh, we add up all of the rows. So we have to take each four letters or forward segment. We add up the number and then we uh, run some math on that to give you another word which you write down, which is your checksum and chances of you getting the, set, the same checksum for two rows is so small it's not worth coming up with another way to do it where it's impossible so if you have your row or if you have your four 13 four letter or forward rows there's an extra row for the checksum which helps you figure out if you have a typo or if you accidentally wrote your word down wrong and there are ways to recover your four words based on your checksum so even if you lost an entire word, um, you think entire that four words. if you lost the entire four words, you think you could come up with the, the four missing words if you had the checksum? If you had the checksum, you could reverse the math in a way that could give you, uh, I'm not sure how many different ways, but not very many different combinations of the four words. I mean, it'd be a and bit of work but you could eventually recover an entire row from just your it, checksum. Yeah, it's possible. So there's, and that's only because there's another layer of redundancy. So the WIF format itself, like those 256 letters and numbers, they have a, a pretty decent checksum at the end. Um, and then what we did, just because it, it's really frustrating when you put in, like you'll, you'll know this if you've worked with Bitcoin, but you like you type in those 24 words and then it just says it fails, right? And you're like, ah, man, which word? And then you have to go through 24 words to figure out which one uh, was wrong. Um, and so uh, what we did is we made it so that you type in four words and then there's a fifth word. And as soon as you type in that fifth word, it confirms that all five words are good. So you have basically 13 sentences that you type in. And if you mess up any sentence, it tells you right away so you can fix it as you go. Yeah, that that's a really, really major improvement on uh, user friendliness and just having confidence that you're because uh, we've all written down, written down seed phrase, seed words and, and mm -hmm. private keys. And it's <laughs> it could be nerve wracking. So so doing that, it's a it's a huge deal, because even if you even if you mess up a letter, um, you know, if you write lime, lime instead of Lima. Yeah. You know, it's pretty obvious what you're, you know, you're, you're not going to mess that up putting, putting the, uh, your private key in. Yeah, yeah, totally. One of the features that we haven't built in that will make it even more user friendly um, is autocomplete. Um, and because we have basically a very small word database, it's just the number of like, you know, what, 26 letters. So there's a word that goes with every letter and then there's an uppercase and a lowercase. Um, that that issue of like losing the word database totally goes away so you don't have to worry about that for um recovery um but the 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 other nice thing about that is because there's so few words in our word dictionary if you type al 
and then hit tab, we know it's alpha, right? Like if you type capital A, L, and then tab. So you can actually end up typing less keys to get this, uh, you know, these 13 sentences in than you would with the 24 words. So you, you mm -hmm. get like, I, I think this is one of those few cases where you get user friendliness and uh, sort of redundancy and security without really having a, a downside. I guess the only downside is it just looks like more stuff on a page. And when you do write it down, it's more stuff to write down. But when you type it in, it's a lot less. So I think that's a pretty good trade-off. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the, uh, who, was, who was the economist that said like the more convoluted way is, is, the, is better for production. So putting in the, uh, the upfront, upfront time and energy uh, pays off in the end. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we we don't have that autocomplete feature built yet. It's just it's on the it's on the list though. But yeah. the design allows for it. So uh, yeah, yeah, so, and it's also good just using the the very generic uh, standard of the NATO alphabet as as opposed to relying on something that was developed specifically for Bitcoin that may or may not go away, like you were saying with the BIP thirty nine stuff. So. Right. Yeah. And it's an international standard, right? So it's yep. like alpha is not an English word. It's not a French word. It's not a German word. Like it's uh, it's a basically a made up word that makes sense for redundancy. Like the, the English or languages in, in themselves are really interesting. They're all of the words that we're speaking to each other right now. I can't remember what the number is, but it's like I think it's 78 percent redundancy. Um, so if um, if you, in theory, if you were a computer and you only heard 78% of the sounds that I'm making right now, you could figure out exactly what I'm saying. And that applies across all human languages. It's all just about 78%, which is just fascinating. Um, but, uh, but these words are not words in any particular language, but they do have, you know, they do have a lot of redundancy built into them. Like, like Will was saying, if you see AL, there's no other word that starts with AL. So, you know, that you're talking about the letter A or, you know, the word alpha, which represents the letter A. So, right. um, so it, it is nice from like, uh, you know, we don't have to build a different version for every language perspective because these number, I mean, you could say, oh, well, you know, the, the Chinese are not using the letter A. But they are um, because uh, the Phoenician alphabet is used in, you know, all computer science. Right. So all developers in China and India and everywhere else are, are very comfortable with uh, with these letters and numbers. Sure. So uh, this kind of brings up another good thing to, to jump into uh, kind of the hardware setup with things and and why generic equipment and hardware like the generic uh, uh NATO alphabet using why why that's a good thing and and talking through what what you actually need hardware wise and and why you chose this setup. We chose this uh, setup in the generic software because if you buy something specific for Bitcoin software like a Ledger or Trezor wallet, if anybody comes into your house and sees one of those USB sticks with their name engraved on it, you're gonna know that's Bitcoin and that there's probably a good chance that there's bitcoin on that but if you just see an old laptop under some books in a closet nobody's going to think twice about that saying that there's a bitcoin seed on there or whatever you might think there's some old docs but yeah and what about uh like the manufacturing process any any threats with uh with like a, a bitcoin specialized hardware that way Yes, there is a big uh, security flaw with specialized hardware. 
where if that company's compromised or even one of the employees that is putting an extra chip in could severely uh, compromise your entire security uh, flow of your, yeah. Or, or even somebody that works in like, you know, FedEx, if they know, if they know that um, maybe they're, they're, uh, I don't know if the boxes are always identifiable or, you know, I mean, presumably the guy that picks up stuff at the Trezor warehouse or whatever knows that it's Trezor that he's, uh, he's picking stuff up for. So he can swap out hardware. Um, and you end up with a device that's compromised. The, why why don't you have to worry about that so much with laptops? Like, why wouldn't you have to worry if everybody compromises, like every HP laptop, in order to steal your Bitcoin? Well, uh, compromising every HP laptop or any laptop that has the ability to run Ubuntu on it is so uh, uncost efficient that uh, or effective that it would not be worth it to set to compromise every uh linux based laptop just to steal the bitcoin out of them even if you had all the bitcoin it w- nobody would use it so and, and that's because a lot of people would um buy laptops and not put bitcoin on it and you've gone through all this work and expense to compromise it so you'd have to uh is that what you're saying? You'd have to compromise so many, like maybe 10,000 laptops for every sucker that you got uh, some Bitcoin out of. Right. Yep. Yeah, as opposed to, hard, you know, if someone's buying a, you know, Ledger or Treasure, Trezor or anything, they, like you said, they know exactly what that's being used for. So what right. what what exactly is the uh, is the setup with the hardware? Like, what do you need to, to run the Yeti Cold? So Yeti Cold specifically requires a two-laptop setup uh, an online and a disconnected laptop. The online is for downloading the specific software that we require, including Bitcoin Core, downloading the blockchain, and then uh, broadcasting and receiving the transactions uh, so that the disconnected laptop can use them. Uh, in order for us to get data from the online to the offline, we're using QR codes which is super easy to cross-check. You just install any QR code app and scan the data, and no private keys should show up or any extra data except what we specifically need. So what's the importance of using the uh, QR codes? QR codes are just simple ways to transfer, like maybe a balance or some recipient address or uh, even a UTXO, an unspent transaction that you need. Uh, They're just super simple ways to send data from one spot to another spot with a reader and a scanner or uh, displaying. Yeah. So why don't we just run a cable, you know, between the online and the offline laptop? Because a lot of the hardware wallets do that. They either use a USB cable or another thing we could have done is just used a... um, Used a like a, a SD card. Um, that's another popular thing hardware wallets do, and just you know pop it out and pop it into the home. Because then your uh, private keys, which were originally on the laptop, which is now in the SD drive, is being connected manually to the offline, which could be compromised reading the private key data after it's being sent from the offline. So you could right. you could end up with a compromised offline for some reason. And then you have this weak point where your SD card 
could have some extra data on it. So are you saying that like, even if the offline laptop had a virus on it, uh, you're still not going to lose any Bitcoin? Right. What you'd have to do is you'd have to add extra data to the QR code, like maybe put a key in each QR code we send over and then read that uh, from the online and then send it up. But you can easily check that by just scanning the QR code and seeing exactly what it has encoded. It's only a couple of uh, no more than maybe 300 characters per QR code that we send. So it's super easy to check if we have the required data. Okay, great. Um, I forget what I was just about to say. So uh, what other parts <laughs> do you need? you've got two laptops. What else do you need? Uh, we require a USB drive uh, for installing Ubuntu on them. And that could have a virus on it compromising both your online and offline. But again, the offline never connects to any uh, smart electronic device at all. Um, only uses QR codes. The other thing we require is some USB drives for USB backups. But again, those never touch an online Wi-Fi enabled um, uh laptop or device the only way it could be compromised from there is if you have a compromised usb drive but again if it was generic it's not going to have it unless you compromised every single usb drive uh, for for a long time you'd have to wait it's not cost efficient uh, so just to read that back you've got two laptops <clears throat> you've got um seven thumb drives for your private keys and then you need a thumb drive for ubuntu um and then uh you need a big external hard drive right right you need a big external hard drive for copying stuff like the uh blockchain over uh some of the libraries require but that's all done before your private keys ever get on the laptop how much uh how much would it cost to get all that stuff together I'm not sure. Well, okay, fair enough. Uh, I didn't make you buy it. I should have. Um, <laughs> so so I'll, I'll answer my own question. So the laptops, if you have a laptop, it probably would work just fine. And you can just use that laptop. Um, you're not, you're going to have to back it up and then like fully erase it and then restore your stuff after you're done. So it's a little bit of a hassle if you use your own laptop and it has data on it. Um, but you can you can use any laptop, basically. Um, but if you wanted to buy it all fresh, like if you just didn't even own a thumb drive, um, it cost you maybe 120, 130 bucks per laptop. So that's 260. Um, th the, the external hard drive might be another, uh, 70 bucks. So that's 300 and, uh, what is that? 330. Um, and then the thumb drives is like, you know, 10 bucks. So you, you're, you're maybe looking at a total investment of 340 bucks, but after you're done, then you have all this stuff and you can use it for other things too. Um, I normally you would leave one laptop on and running, um, just to watch your balance and then maybe, you know, to use it, uh, for like some petty cash stuff, because you can, you can use that one laptop, both for Yeti cold and like Yeti warm or Yeti hot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's maybe 350 bucks worth of stuff um, if you just don't own a computer at all right now. And that's 340 bucks to protect a serious and you know serious amount of money. Um, right. 
certainly cheaper than I don't know paying armed guards to protect your gold or or your dollars or whatever whatever other way you would protect your your gold uh, protecting your Bitcoin. You know, if, if you don't have a lot of Bitcoin, that might be a big expense, a little overkill. But if you have serious Bitcoin, it's well worth it. Yeah, remember, too, you, oh, you sorry, might, go ahead. You might not have serious Bitcoin right now, but if if you buy into the idea that Bitcoin will become global money. Sure. Uh, you yeah. Do the math and, you know, your small amount of Bitcoin right now will maybe large. Yes. And you will want to have that sort of protection. So. Um, you know, I, I yeah, think it's worthy, worthy of the investment because that, that $300 is not going, that's, that's what it is going to cost. It's not going to cost you more in the future because Bitcoin goes up. That's right. a, uh, a single one-time cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I think a lot of people, they have at least one laptop and so maybe they have sure. to get another one, but, um, you could also just borrow your friend's laptop, right? Just say, Hey, back up your laptop so that I can erase it and use it for a couple of days and then, uh, and then restore it when it's over. Um, so you could definitely do it cheaper. You don't have to buy all this stuff fresh, but hardware wallets are somewhere around a hundred bucks, I think. Um, yeah. and they don't, they don't offer anything close to this level of, of protection. And so is this live now? Could someone go on and do this right now? Right. Yeah. Now. yeah. We're still, we're still working out little bugs here and there. Um, but we do have a couple people that are already using it um, that are going through the process and kind of helping us test it. Um, so you may run into a bug and have to DM me. But I would say, I don't know, what do you think? Within how long before you don't expect anybody to run into any little bugs, Will? Zero bugs um, with at least a 95% success rate. I'd give it uh, maybe three weeks to a month, uh, and that'll be production tested and ready to go so where can someone get it uh you just go to yetycold.com and then we walk you through uh you could do this on your home laptop just anything and then follow the process and it'll explain what you need how to get it how to set it up and then walk you through on each of the laptops as you go um so this is open source right yes yep uh, are you open to having people help with uh, contributing to it or anything? Uh, JW might have to answer that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. Actually, we already had um, the Bitcoin only guy. Uh, gosh, what's his Twitter handle? Oh, uh, it's like 6102 60, or something. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, some reference to gold. Uh, let's see, Bitcoin uh, only. Well, if you go to bitcoinonly.com, that's that's his website, or maybe it's bitcoin-only. Anyway, he he um, he did a version of the NATO format, um, like basically built just that as a little library so that other wallets can use it. Um, and uh, I think he's done a couple other little things too uh, with testing and stuff. So, um, but yeah, any I, I mean. It's really important that anything that's even slightly security sensitive is open source because you need other people to look at it and catch your mistakes. Um, if it's closed source and there are some hardware wallets out there that are closed source, uh, it makes it a lot harder to have confidence that uh, that they're you know they they haven't they don't have a bug or they're not doing something amiss. So it is open source, and we would love any. Uh, help. The main help that we can use right now uh, is just testing. Just go out there and say, what the hell does it mean on this page when it says to do this? Because um, it'll help us realize, you know, as 
uh, as people that, you know, Will's pretty into Bitcoin and I'm pretty into Bitcoin. So it's easy for us to just assume that something's clear. Um, so just normies going out and trying to use the product is probably the most help that we can have. I, I shouldn't say product, project, um, since it's free. Right. Uh, is there anything else uh, that you want to talk about for for this project that, that you think is worth people knowing about? Anything we didn't cover yet? I mean, you're the expert, uh, Will. So let us yeah. know if there's uh, if there's any points that you, th you think need or should uh, should be covered. Yeah, um, I don't think there's much more to it at this point, uh, since we haven't wrote or haven't written any code for either Yeti Warm or Yeti Hot so far. Um, so, but Yeti, Yeti warm and hot, they're really just a subset of Yeti cold. So when you said maybe three or four weeks, did that include, is that estimate include the, the hot and warm versions? That was just for 100% or 95% for Yeti cold, uh, warm recovery and regular same for Yeti hot. I don't suspect we'll take that long either before it's good to go. Cause those, we already have all the code written for both of them we just have to put it together so what do you think maybe maybe six weeks and all that will be dialed into yeah yeah six weeks from now yeah um yeah I, I, you know the main thing that makes us excited about the yeti hot uh thing is that it's very very simple you just get a fresh copy of you get a fresh laptop you slap ubuntu on it um, you, you run through the steps to install Bitcoin core. It'll, like I said, take less than 15 minutes to set up. And even though it's online, you are fully validating all of your Bitcoin, right? So if somebody sends you Bitcoin, like Rolo was saying, you know that you're getting genuine Bitcoin. You're not getting some knockoff or some scam, uh, coin. Um, and that's the only way that you can do it. If you don't have a full node running, um, and somebody sends you Bitcoin, you know, it, it could be just your phone is telling you it's Bitcoin, but it's not really Bitcoin. What you really need is a full node to do that. So you'd have that, you'd have all of that assurance that you're getting real Bitcoin. Um, and uh, and then as far as uh, privacy goes, it's pretty good. All this stuff runs over Tor. Um, so it's really not bad as far as privacy, like sending and receiving transactions. It's a whole lot better than any of the wallets that run on your phone or that, um with the exception of Fully Noted, uh, which is an awesome app that runs on your phone that you can connect to your full node. Um, with the exception of Fully Noted, all the apps that I know of are compromising your privacy in some way. Because like when you use your Trezor, this is something a lot of people don't realize. Your IP address at your house, right, that can be tied to your physical address is going to Trezor servers in order to check your balance. Mm -hmm. So they know exactly how much Bitcoin you own and they know ex if they want to, right? Like presumably these are good guys, you know, yada, yada. We can trust everybody. Kumbaya. It's all good. You know, I don't know where Trezor's based. Is it? It's <laughs> like in Russia or something, I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, presumably it's all fine. But when you're using a hardware wallet, any hardware wallet uh, that, you know, that most people are using, and they're using it because it's user-friendly, because they don't really, they're not comfortable setting up a full node, and they're a little worried that their laptop might have a virus on it. Um, both of those reasons to use a hardware wallet are bad, because uh, the hardware wallet requires that your laptop be somewhat trustworthy. There's just a, a another um, bug that was uh, going around Twitter today on Trezors where if the laptop is compromised, you can end up losing some Bitcoin with your Trezor. So 
you can't use a hardware wallet to protect you from your laptop, really. Uh, maybe a little bit, but even then, um, it's questionable. Um, and it definitely won't help you on the privacy side because you're in order to find out what your balance is, it's got to go out to the centralized server that's run by Trezor or Ledger or whoever um, to tell you what that balance is. And if they want to, they can, you know, they can squirrel that information away. So for you know, for a cheap, you know, get a refurbished laptop for like 80 bucks or 70 bucks off Newegg, throw this stuff on it. It, it for less than 5,000 bucks. It's totally, uh, fine. Uh, it's a, it's a high degree of security. It's a high degree of privacy and you're putting very little effort into it. So that's kind of the low bar. And what I'm hoping is that this project helps set that as the low bar, not phone wallets, not hardware wallets, but just a simple laptop that's a full node that does all the stuff, you know, like a first class Bitcoin citizen sort of would want to have um, and requires very little effort and very little time. And then from there, you know, we have better options like warm and, uh, you know, ultimately, if you have real money, put it in Bitcoin or Yeti cold. Right. So, uh, Will, you're you're a pretty young guy and uh, <laughs> this is a pretty, pretty sizable undertaking how does how's this been for you um is it what you kind of expected have you done a lot of i mean obviously this isn't your first project but uh this is kind of the first time you're really kind of putting something out there to the uh to the masses to use yeah yeah this is the first time that i have created a project start to finish that will be used by other people nice do you mind if we say your age uh, no. Yeah, so how old are you? I'm 16. 16. Nice. Wow. Um, so, what, so what were all you listeners doing when you were 16? <laughs> I was going to say, when, when I was in high school, I was not doing this. So you're, you must go to some elite private school that is teaching this stuff. Uh, and no, not be a, very no, proud public, of you. It's a public school, obviously. <laughs> so... So, well, no, for now, seriously, where, how have you been schooled, if you don't mind me asking? My, I've been homeschooled my entire life. Uh, I recently got some programming ex, uh, education from my uncle, uh, and he took a professional class on it. Uh, other than that, I've just been taught by my uh, uncle, and that's about it. Uh, some online courses, but nothing fancy. So how long have you been programming? Uh, about five to six years. Good for you. Nice. So you just kind of had a liking to it, got into it. I guess your 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 dad's in the industry. Um, you just kind of picked it up and went. Do you mind talking a little bit about that, how you got into it? Yeah, in case someone else that's listening or someone who knows someone that's – Or someone <laughs> someone who has young kids who maybe in a couple years they'll be a little older and want to learn some stuff. Yeah. Uh, I first got into it when we found an app that could easily code uh, shapes on a screen, and that was really fun for me. I learned about animation and stuff from that just from a simple app where you type a word and it throws something on the screen. Uh, I then from there learned more and more complicated stuff. Uh, I, from there, I just basically learned the basics of programming, uh, the bare minimum uh, that could be used for any language. Uh, so now if you give me a language like Python, this is my first project with Python. From what I learned about how programming works in general, 
I'm able to put together a pretty good idea of any language. So mm-hmm. I, this is my first project with Python. Uh, about two months ago, I didn't know anything about Python, but from the from what I knew, I could put together a Python app in under two months. Once you understand the logic of the language and everything, you kind of figure it out. Right. Yep. Did uh, <clears throat> why did you decide to learn programming? Uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, and it's also pretty profitable. <laughs> yeah. So you were like yeah. 11. Good choices. Yeah. You were like 11 when you started. Why? Do you remember what you were thinking when you were 11? When I was did speed you. Uh, one sec. Audio died. Oh, you're okay. You're back. Yeah, I hear you. This is fun for me because because uh, it's like his idea, right? Like he he recalls yeah. deciding that nope. he was gonna. Do it. <laughs> it, was, it was not optional. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> can can you hear? Did us we well? lose you, Will? Oh, we'll take this moment to uh, talk about International Harvester, the latest sponsor of the Rollin' Slappy Show. So be sure to Hello? check them out and buy a tractor too. Did hey, you hear us, Will? I don't think he can hear us. Yeah, I'll, let me let me text him and let him know that we can hear him. Hey. We can hear him. I can't. I can hear you now. Uh, okay. I don't have my headphones, so the audio might sound a little weird. Oh, All did right. your uh, your your headphones die? Your battery powered headphones? Yeah. Yep. Should have had a backup pair or something. <laughs> That's all right. So I was I was laughing when you were off because because you were saying that you decided to do it. Um, but it wasn't really oh, optional, right? You guys forced you to it? All right. <laughs> let me... Uh, All right, I can hear you. Oh, okay. All right. So... All right. You sure you can hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yep, I'm already good. Okay. All right. So I was making fun of you because you said that you, you decided you wanted to program, but it wasn't really your choice, was it? Uh, no. <laughs> you enjoy it. You did force me into learning it. Uh... But that was only for a couple of months, and then it was all me agreeing to it. I'm not sure what, have ha- what would have happened if I didn't agree to it. <laughs> I do enjoy it, so we're good <laughs> right on. F- Father knows best. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I like about programming is that uh, if you program for three years, uh, you can most likely get a job. It might not even have to be three years, maybe a year. Uh, but even while you're earning money with a job, you're constantly learning new things, making you more and more valuable. Uh, so basically, people are paying you to learn and build stuff for them. Yeah, that, that's not that's not a bad deal, is it? No. So, um, all right, now it's now it's my time to embarrass you a little bit. Because uh, I'm old enough where this is like kind of fun for me now, but uh, yeah, it's it's funny how tell, hearing some of the stories about um, you know how you got into programming and and doing the stuff with your dad. Although you know, not saying you did this, but but working kind of with your dad here and throughout it, um, because um, growing like my dad played music on the side, and and when my brothers and I were real little, he kind of same kind of thing. It wasn't really our choice. We were going to play an instrument. And we all kind of uh, picked it up. And it wasn't only until a few years ago that I realized like how much 
it made my dad happy to like play with my brothers and I play music. Um, especially when we're out in front of people, how proud he was of it. And I know that your dad, JW is super proud of you. Um, not just for this, but for everything. Um, so he, he does, he does say a lot of good things about you. And, uh, I know just from seeing my dad with the happiness he gets from doing something that, uh, you know, he works on for a lot of his life to be able to pass that on and, and work with his son with it is, uh, is pretty awesome. So. Yeah, it it is really fun. It's it's super cool that we've been able to work on this project together. Um, it's and he's also like when when I was a kid, uh, like at at Will's age, I I didn't work with my dad, so I didn't really get to. Um, I don't think he really got to see like me maturing, like kind of becoming more of a man and having to interact with me as a peer. But, uh, but this project has been kind of that for us. Like it's been, it's been a little bit of a trip to like, I'll get frustrated and he'll be the one that's mature. And that's super strange, yeah. but very, very cool. Hey, you got to, I saw on Twitter, he, uh, got to call you a boomer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your, uh, your little joke about how I'm the perfect tester there. Will. yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Um, so yeah, we're going to have, uh, everything on the show notes page, uh, yeti.com, uh, the, uh, the GitHub page too. I did find that. And, uh, anything else we should have there? Uh, I'll put, I'll put your, uh, Twitter JW there. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I looking forward to getting Will on Twitter. I, there's still just yeah. too much, uh, too many freaks out there. Uh, until he gets married, I'm going to try to shelter him a little bit. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But probably not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, guys, thanks for coming on so much. This was uh, this was really awesome. Yeah, yeah totally, you. it was fun. It was great. Yeah, good, good job, Will. Uh, yeah, thanks first. for joining us, Will. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I'd say I wish you luck, but I, I don't think you need. I think you uh, put the time in. I don't think you really need luck. I think you're going to be successful, and uh, I think this is great. And I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot about what you do in the future. So thank you. Yeah. 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 So um, <laughs> let's uh, we'll close off now. And, and when I hit on I'll when I hit stop, if you guys can hang on for a second after, uh, after we're done recording. But again, the show notes page is mcflugel.com slash 171 where you can find links to the th- stuff we just talked about as well as checking out libertymugs.com. And also don't forget, uh, if this uh, piqued your interest about getting finally getting involved in Bitcoin, but you don't really know how to start or want more information about it, also you can check out 10hoursofbitcoin.com. It's a uh, really well curated uh, uh, list of Bitcoin topics to get you going. It's uh, one, another one of JW's projects. So check that out too. So uh, thanks for listening and we will catch you next week. Peace.